Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura, and today I am giving you a summary of our group's discussion of part three of our seven of Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. And this section is basically about Second Kings and the prophet's ministry to the Northern Kingdom. Pretty quickly at the beginning of Second Kings, Elijah is translated or taken without dying up into heaven, and that gives rise to the possibility that he is one of the two witnesses that appear in Revelation. That is based on comparing the miracles that Elijah did with the miracles that one of the two witnesses did, but there is no specific reference to him by name in the book of Revelation, so you can't say for sure. From there, we got more into the discussion of the north versus the southern kingdom, which is the where the second kings goes back and forth between them some. The main point being that the northern kingdom as a whole, as a system, completely abandoned the worship of God. In the book, Mr. Missler tells us that there were people from the northern kingdom who traveled to the southern kingdom because they still wanted to worship God. So I wanted to look that up farther, and I have some Bible verses for you to corroborate that. I did get them from an article of his that I found, and I will link to that on the website, but there were a few particular verses that I thought it would be just as well to read. First of all, you can go back into 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 17, where it says, But as for the children of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So right there you have some of the tribes of Israel from the northern kingdom being present in Judah. Then you have in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, when Josiah was king, which was after the northern kingdom had been taken captive. And if you go to verse 16 of chapter 35, it says, So all the service of Yahweh was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on Yahweh's altar, according to the commandment of King Josiah. The children of Israel who were present kept a Passover at that time, and the feast of unleavened bread seven days. There was no Passover like that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, nor did any of the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This Passover was kept in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah. And then going forward in history a little bit, we have in the book of Ezra chapter 8, verse 35, the children of the captivity who had come out of exile offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel. And it goes on past that, but it makes it pretty obvious that there were 12 tribes that they were being um, sacrifices offered for. And then the last one I will read is in Ezekiel um, in chapter 37, verse 15. Yahweh's word came again to me, saying, You, son of man, take one stick and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write on it 
for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself to one another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. It seems pretty clear from that that God has plans to join all of the twelve tribes together again. But one of the points of all of this was that those who were faithful, who wanted to follow Yahweh in the northern kingdom, seemed to come to the southern kingdom. There was no, let's stay in the northern kingdom and be salt and light. They came out of a very wicked system. And that is along the lines with what Jesus told the disciples. He said, shake the dust off of your feet um, when people won't hear you in places you go and don't throw your pearls before swine. Yes, God did send particular prophets to the northern kingdom, but people weren't expected to live there and to bring up their children there in the midst of that wickedness. This was compared to the suggestion that is often made to people that they should keep their kids in the public government school system to be missionaries to the people there, or that we have to stay in some sort of overarching institutional religious situation to change that system. Somebody uh, used the term as, yeah, try writing to the Pope to get him to change his system. So no, there are biblical examples that we don't have to stay in a wicked system to be salt and light, and that um, we can still be salt and light when we're outside of that system, near it, still interacting with those people in a different way except, of course, when we're supposed to shake the dust off our feet. At this point, someone brought up T. Austin Sparks and a book called The Law of the Spirit of Life, and this suggests that Elisha, the next prophet after Elijah, mirrors Christ. I have not read this book myself, but the miracles that Elisha did were pointed out um, one where the axe head flew off and that was showing the death of trying to do works on our own. And the other one where uh, a poisonous stew that was supposed to bring life brought outright death, but Elisha's miracles took care of that. And finally, we have the odd incident where Elisha's bones actually bring a dead guy back to life. And if you want to read that, that is in 2 Kings 13.20, right after it talks about Elisha dying. But then we weren't quite done with Elisha because we talked about the fact that there were those youths who came and were making fun of him, and then Elisha called the bears who mauled them. And it was brought up that that just doesn't seem to be a a petty instance of retribution, like, don't tease me, but more along the lines of, this is one of God's prophets, and don't mess with him. Don't ridicule one of God's prophets, because he represents God. So then we got to talking a little bit about recognizing life and where life comes from. And again, um, from New Testament examples where tons of rules were placed on the Sabbath, supposedly making it more clear that people were following God's laws, but really this was man's laws on top of God's injunctions and how God makes it, well, Jesus makes it obvious that the Sabbath is to bless us and the Sabbath is not about following rules. Rest is not brought by following rules. The Pharisees loved rules and they loved enforcing them, but God just wants us to turn to him.
This is exemplified in the story of Manasseh, which is also in 2 Kings, but there were more details of it in Chronicles. So Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, was a very wicked king for a long, long time. But in his last days, he repented and he was given forgiveness. So again, all God wants is for people to turn to him. And throughout all of this, there seemed to be some of a theme um, from the whole of the northern kingdom following Jeroboam into wickedness or uh, all of the Pharisees agreeing on all of the rules that truth is not discovered by consensus. And we have many, many examples in history and in scripture that too many times leaders, um, teachers, get popular and by that popularity are given some sort of authority when all they're doing is appealing to the itching ears and the wrong desires of people in general. So in summary, truth is not decided by consensus. We don't have to immerse ourselves or sacrifice our children to systems that are corrupt. And we are free, we are encouraged to talk about things that matter with people who care about the truth. That's all of the summary today. I'll see you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 